You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. This podcast has been brought to you by Cuts by Candice. Candice Gist is a hairstylist that listens to your needs and will work with you to get the right look for you. With 18 years of experience, Candice is the premier stylist that I trust with my look. And right now, if you mention this ad, when you make an appointment from now until the end of February 2019 and give our promo code GEEKOUT, you will get 10% off your hair services. Follow Cuts by Candice on Facebook and Cuts underscore Candice on Instagram and start looking the best you, you can. The future comes and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geeks Watch for the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geeks Watch. Uh, John, we're here one more week, but we're not talking about Star Trek Discovery this week. Uh, we're going to take a break from that. Yeah, and we also don't have Steven with us today. He fell victim to the cold snap that's currently affecting the country. You know, that's true. It's very true. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see We'll have to see him next week. I'll have to thaw him out. <laughs> uh, all right. So with that being said, let's talk about some geek news. And um, first thing I want to talk about is over at the CW, they literally, almost, or almost literally, renewed all their shows. It's like 11 shows all together. Yeah, and Supernatural is just the show that keeps on going. That's right. They're coming back for season 15, folks. That That's that's insane. Like, this season they're getting their 300th episode, and then they're going to come back for another season. Uh, that's a lot of fucking TV, man. Jeffrey Dean Morgan's coming back. Well, he just came back for the 300th episode. Yeah. He's just there just to, to play the dad, which is awesome. Like, yeah. it, it, it's unfortunate that they couldn't get him back for other episodes, but, like, it's good that he's coming back for this one. So, you got, we have The Flash, all the CW, or all the W. Or all the DC shows are coming back. The Flash, Arrow, um, Supergirl, Black Lightning, Legends of Tomorrow. Uh, then you also have Riverdale, Supernatural, Charmed, Legacy, and Dynasty are all coming back. So that means uh, Jane the Virgin, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, iZombie, they're all finishing up. Uh, All-American, Roswell, and The 100 are not. Or I guess they might be on the bubble. Like I, I hear a lot of great things about The 100, uh, I didn't. I didn't check out the new Roswell, and I definitely didn't check out All American. Yeah, and I most definitely didn't check out any of those either. <laughs> I can't believe the Dynasty revival show is actually doing well. I was gonna say, like, is that like a continuation of the uh, '80s one? I don't know if it's a continuation or a reboot, but you know, more power to them. Oh, they got to bring back uh, Dallas. That's the one. I think they did. Did they really? I think it's on TNT though. Oh, I'm pretty sure that's that's where that one's at. Because they, you know, they did Dallas. They did um, 90210 on CW. Melrose Place, I think. Oh, really? I think they did a a Melrose Melrose Place revival too. I feel like those don't like they were products of their time. They were definitely products (laughs) of their time. They don't really work now. (laughs) Uh. 
So, are you, would you say you're a fan of the Beatles? Uh, I would say that you are damn right I'm a fan of the Beatles, <laughs> yes. What do you remember about the Let It Be album? Um, it was towards the end of their career. They were going into their more metaphysical stage where they were all long-haired and bearded hippie-looking people instead of uh, <laughs> the you know mop-top, matching suit-wearing Beatles. Um, it was definitely, from what I can remember, one of their more... Uh, like the strain was starting to show a little bit. Okay. A lot of their songs were more like melancholy and kind of looking back and, um, you know, like, oh, remember the days already when these people were still in their 20s and making some of the best music of all time. And, um, you know, it was starting to show that it was frying at the seams a little bit. So what if I told you that Peter Jackson is making a documentary about the making of that album? That sounds fantastic. I hope it ends with uh, Paul McCartney with a like, chainsaw or a <laughs> lawnmower just tearing through everyone inside uh, Downton Abbey. Okay, like that's... That. I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but, like, uh, it, it, I did. I think that is weird that, you know, not that he couldn't make a documentary, but that Peter Jackson is making a documentary seems a little odd. Well, he already just made one called... Uh, yeah, it's the they, one with the, the World War II one, right? It was World War One. Oh, was it World War I? I believe it's called They Shall Not Grow Old. That's right. Um, and it's not just that it's a documentary, it's that it's taking all this archival footage, which, I mean, during World War One, the footage would have been very crude to begin with. Right. But he's also, like, post-producing it so that it's very, very polished. Mm -hmm. um, he's stabilizing a lot of shots. I think he's also recoloring um, digitally adding missing frames so that the uh, the, f the motion is more um, fluid. It's very interesting experiment, and I think that I mean, although it's cool that he's doing it for you know World War One purposes for like history documentation, it's definitely a work in progress for I think more things he wants to do just like this. So according to the Beatles' official Twitter uh, account, it says the new film will be based around 55 hours of never released footage in the studio, shot between January 2nd and January 31st, 1969. Uh, these studio sessions produced the Beatles' Grammy Award-winning album, Let It Be, with its Academy Award-winning title song. The album was eventually released 18 months later in May 1970, several months after the band had broken up. The filming was originally intended to for a planned TV special, but organically turned into something completely different, climaxing with the Beatles' legendary performance on the rooftop of Apple's Savile Row London office. Or probably Seville. Probably. Uh, which took place exactly 50 years ago today, and that was on January 30th when this was released. Uh, Peter Jackson said, The 55 hours of never-before-seen footage and 140 hours of audio made available to us ensures this movie will be the ultimate fly-on-the-wall experience that, that Beatle fans, Beatles fans have long dreamt about. I was relieved to discover the reality is very different to the myth, continues Jackson. Jackson? It's simply an amazing historic, historical treasure trove. Sure, there's moments of drama, but none of the discord this project has long been associated with. Watching John, Paul, George, and Ringo work together, creating now classic songs from scratch is not only fascinating, it's funny, uplifting, and surprisingly intimate. I'm thrilled and honored to have been entrusted with this remarkable footage, making the movie with a sheer will be a sheer joy. So that's interesting to hear that. My conception of this whole process or this time period was that it was fraught with uh, like 
them being at odds with each other, but it's interesting to hear that it, that wasn't the case. Now, when uh, I don't know if you remember, they released in the mid-90s the Beatles anthology. I do. Uh, I watched that whole thing from beginning to end, and I got the CDs from it, too. And although I'm a huge Beatles fan, there were some aspects of that process where, like, you hear early versions of songs or demos. And, I mean, you're used to, as a consumer, just kind of getting the finished product. Um, you don't really get to see how the sausage is made, in, in you know, to put it in a different way. <laughs> right. So seeing some of these early works or some of the demo versions or things that didn't pan out quite the same way you you know they started as mm-hmm. some of those were kind of jarring really i remember yeah there was a couple of songs on there that started completely different um and this was like kind of eye-opening i was like oh yeah like i just kind of assumed that my favorite artists were all like mozart and they just created their art on page like directly from their fingertips not that they had to try different versions and uh, you know, things that didn't work out and had to be abandoned or were heavily modified. And ultimately, the end product is nothing like what it started as. And I was like, that really is discouraging for my creative process. Yeah. I always figure, man, whatever I'm doing right now, I know the end product will be nothing like this. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. So I also wonder, do you think we're going to ever get a uh, Beatles biopic like we just got with like Bohemian Rhapsody? Oh, not until they're all dead, I'm sure. There's, there's going to be some clauses that protect them from that, their estates and everything. Um, I would love to see that, though. There would just be so much story. Like, I remember they made one for the monkeys on VH1 mm-hmm. many, many years ago. And even I knew that that was such an abridged version. Like, they were just hitting, like, the most popular stories or their most uh, famous moments. But... There was so much behind-the-scenes stuff that went along with it that for a band like the Beatles, that I would imagine like every moment of every day, something incredible had to have been happening in their lives, even if they were just making toast and reading the paper. like Just the fact that they're the Beatles to me is like, yeah, but that's them doing it. Like, this could have <laughs> been what inspired John Lennon's line about you know, waking up and dragging a comb across his head and you know, being late. I was like, yeah, that's just a regular person's mundane, you know, day in the life. But for them, that's an f- amazing song, you know. <laughs> it's true. I'd always be looking at that. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's the police officer that they reference in uh, I Am the Walrus or something. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, talking about, <laughs> well, we weren't talking about it, but <laughs> talking about, uh, let's talk about Invincible. Seth yes. Rogen and Evan Goldberg are making it into a TV show. Uh believe oh, oh man i need to figure out where where it is that it's uh being made at i think i want to say amc maybe no amazon prime there we go amazon prime so they released uh what is going to be the voice cast for um for them and leading off as the character of invincible is going to be steven yoon yay i mean is that is that how you feel about that yeah, I like Steven Yu. I felt bad that he didn't make it through to the the uh, survivor round of uh, Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Spoilers. Uh, and then to play his father, who is Omni-Man, the, a villain, is going to be J.K. Simmons, which, of course, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he has to bang his desk on a, or his hand on the desk and <laughs> demand photos of Invincible. Oh, wow. I mean... 
it's I mean it's kind of what he's known for. It's either he's he's either J. Jonah Jameson at this point or he's the 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 mean teacher from Whiplash. Whiplash yeah. <laughs> Faster. Slower. <laughs> um other cast other voice well, cast he's members. He's also Cave Johnson though. He's also Cave Johnson. He's also the yellow M&M. The original yellow M&M. Yeah, that one is that's a weird one. Yeah, you it remember is. when um Cave Johnson also reminds me of his uh, State Farm commercials. Like, yeah. The State Farm commercials. Like, that's Cave Johnson. Do you remember when Kelsey Grammer was the voice of the Geico Gecko? I did not. I never knew that. I think in his first iteration. Really? Yeah. That, it that's was incredible. Kelsey Grammer. And then somewhere along the line, they're like, let's yeah, make let's, him British? Yeah, let's make him a little more soft spoken and British. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Um, well, the rest of the, some of the rest of the cast members are going to be Sandra O. Oh, Seth Rogen, Gillian Jacobs, Andrew Rannells, uh, Zazie Beetz, Mark Hamill, uh, Walton Goggins, Jason Manzukis, and Mae Whitman. So that's like a who's who of like people I want to party with. I know, right? It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty pretty heavy voice cast. Um, have you have you read a lot of Invincible? Because I haven't read any Invincible. It definitely is something that I'm interested in. Um, I've looked through a couple, and I like the concept. I like how it's it's kind of like the kick-ass element, but like a step further with real super-powered beings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're aliens, too, to some degree. Um, so I'm interested. I want to see how they... I, I think we're at a point now where we can finally, finally start moving away from the more mainstream stuff and experiment a little bit. Oh, we're definitely into the point where, you know, the mainstream mainstream stuff is not the only thing that's getting played. Like, look at The Boys, uh, Umbrella Academy, Deadly Class is on right now on Sci-Fi Channel, and it's fucking amazing. So yeah. uh, I'm all for all this stuff. I mean, we'll probably get this before we get uh, New Mutants. <laughs> I mean, at this point, probably... Uh, I know the other one that you like, Why the Last Man, that's that's going forward over at FX, too. So that's something that's happening. All right. Uh, let's talk about a little bit of video games. Super Smash Brothers Ultimate is the fastest-selling Nintendo game of all time. I'm not playing it, so I don't, I don't have anything to say about it. But I mean, that's pretty incredible because um, I think before that, it was Halo 2 or Halo 3 that had that title. Uh, the It says the... Usurping previous record holder Halo Reach. Oh, Halo Reach. In the okay. process. Yeah, well, every Halo up the previous one up until Reach, and then nobody cared anymore after that because <laughs> the quality went down, thanks 343 Studios. But, yeah, like it's really impressive, uh, especially for a Nintendo property because although Nintendo's properties are, uh, you know, very, you know, popular, mm-hmm. they're not known for being, like, chart busters essentially they they become cult classics they become favorites they're very stable but they're not like super sellers like this so that's kind of cool it shows that nintendo's learning a lot of lessons from previous iterations of their properties especially like we discussed last time um with the cancellation of metroid 4 i believe Metroid Prime 4? Metroid Prime 4, yeah. They they decided in a very un-Nintendo move, and hopefully this is a sign that they're adapting to uh, the changes in technology and how social media works and so on. They were very transparent. They simply said this game wasn't meeting our standards, so we're going to scrap it and start over, and we're going to give it back to the studio that made it good in the first place. So, I mean... They're doing something right. They're, whoever's in charge right now making some of these key decisions, they know what they're doing. Well, I think they, it's the, the smartest thing that they did is they really leaned heavily into the party games. Like, they realized that that's where their bread and butter is, like uh, Smash Brothers, Mario Party, Mario Kart. Speaking of Mario Kart, they're developing a Mario Kart mobile game. 
I've also heard that they're working on a Switch Mini. Oh, okay. Which is going to be, well, it, exactly like what it sounds like, a smaller Switch right. that doesn't have removable joysticks. It'll all be basically like One piece. attached. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. That might have to be what I uh, end up getting down the line. There you go. All right. Uh, CBS All Access is the channel that we're watching for Star Trek Discovery. Well, some of the other shows that they're getting, or they they have, is a revival for The Twilight Zone, which is being produced by Jordan Peele. Um, its release date is now, surprise, surprise, Monday, April 1st, 2019. Not a joke, though. It is actually going to be released on that day. Uh, is that something you're looking forward to? Absolutely. I'm a big Twilight Zone fan. I like Jordan Peele's work. And, I mean, with things like Black Mirror, you can only hope that the quality of this is up to that, if not better. Uh, same, exactly. It's, uh, I hope it's uh, it's going to be pretty pretty good, especially with, yeah, especially with Jordan Peele. Uh, okay, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers went and made a big slate of releases that they're going to be coming out here in the next two years. Um one of them is Dr. Sleep is January 24th, 2020. Uh, Bob Zemeckis's uh, adaptation of Roald Dahl's The Witches is October 16th, 2020. Uh, DC Super Pets is opening May 21st, 2021. Wait, back up to that one. Which one? What was that called? DC Super Pets? So, yes, it's a. It's going to be, I believe it's animated, but... Might not be, uh, but yes, all the super pets in the DC Comics universe. So, Crypto the Super Dog, um, Streaky the Super Cat, uh, Goliath the Bat Dog. Is it Goliath or is it Ace? I think it's Ace, actually. Ace the Bat Dog. Um, who else is in there? I don't. I think there's a there's a cow in there too. As a horse. I don't know if it's they got the super horse. Supergirl's horse or something. Well, Supergirl's is the cat streaky the super cat okay i don't remember which one is which it might be bat the bat cow but i don't remember there's there is a whole bunch of different super pets now uh because they have i believe they have their own dc shorts or something like that the animated shorts this sounds like the most horrible idea but if it's for us (laughs) if it's live action though i will watch it if, if it's, it's done like action. homeward bound style that's incredible that, that's what I, I would be down to to sit on there and just munch on my popcorn while i just let it assault my <laughs> eyes uh the batman flies in uh on Ju- june 25th 2021 now the interesting thing about that is that matt reeves is talking about he's still involved in it he's still gonna be directing and ben affleck tweeted out like he can't wait to see Matt Reeves inspiration and whoever it is they get to play the new Batman like he's essentially like oh yeah I'm out it's not me anymore well I've heard about that but this only implies he's not going to be playing this because I think it's supposed to be a younger version right right yeah it's definitely supposed to be an earlier version of the of Batman and it's not supposed to be year one he Matt Reeves has said that it's not going to be year one because he, because he definitely wants it to be more of a, uh, a Batman, the greatest detective, the world's greatest detective story. He wants to be a, a detective story like that. And year one is not that. It's him. It's Batman getting started. So um, he, it's yeah. But it is supposed to be like a detective story and young Batman. So this still could leave it open for Batman continue or Ben Affleck to continue being Batman in future iterations of the current timeline DC movies, right? I mean, theoretically, I would say nothing's impossible. It, it's definitely a thing that could happen. 
I just don't see them going for. If they don't have any plans to use Ben Affleck within the next two years, then it's not going to happen anymore for him. You know, I feel like Ben Affleck probably lobbied really hard to get that role and to have so much dislike and wanting to separate from it well, now. You know, I feel like the biggest problem is that it happened when everything started happening as Batman is also when he got caught cheating on Jennifer Gardner. So his personal life started taking a real fucking nosedive <laughs> and having to do all the publicity that definitely Warner Brothers had in the contract for, you know, hey, you got to be at all these cons. You got to do all this press, you know, all that stuff and all that shit in his personal life that was going down the exact same time. It was, I would, I imagine just, it was just a little too much. Cause I mean, he also went from being the writer director of his Batman movie to not being the writer director and then just being Batman and then not being Batman and then being Batman and then not being Batman over and over. Oh yeah. They were still jumping back and forth a while with that. So do you think this means that if he's out, Cavill will also be out? I mean, I think the writing on the wall is that Cavill is out, but I think that's completely stupid on Wonder Brothers' part. They need to make that Man of Steel two movie. They need to. They need. He should be. A, he should have a part in uh, Shazam when that movie comes out. I'm. I'm hoping against hope <laughs> that you know they've kept it a secret that his part be it in there, and like maybe they filmed it years ago or some shit. But I want to know. I I find this completely. Uh outlandish is that Henry Cavill has played Superman as many times in as many movies as Aquaman as Jason Momoa has played Aquaman. Yeah, they've all had equal They both had three movies. Time, yeah. I mean not equal time because obviously Well Cav- screen time, yeah different. Right. But, but yeah. they've both been in three movies as those characters. And Aquaman is the only one out of any of them to be in a $1 billion generating movie. No, you're absolutely right. But it's just like, I find it hard. I mean, like the fact that he's in what, uh, Batman v Superman for like three seconds, you know, for whatever that is. And then Justice League and then this, and then Aquaman and then... Henry Cavill did all of Man of Steel, all of Batman v Superman, and then half of Justice League, and he just doesn't get the respect. Whereas, uh, you know, Momoa is getting all the, the the praise for his Aquaman movie. Well, also, insult to injury, he was off screen in Man of Steel. Well, that's retroactively saying, <laughs> yeah. yeah, now. But I don't know. It just, it, it kind of ticks me off, I guess. Kind of on a side note to that, they just released on YouTube the uh, How It Should Have Ended for Aquaman. Mm-hmm and on youtube (laughs) yeah one of the things that they show is like hey couldn't superman just go in there and punch uh ocean master into the sun and (laughs) like you'd have the end of this yeah but he would never do that i mean anything though like superman is so ridiculously more powerful than anyone but that's the point is that he's held back by the fact that he was raised by the the kents like he's not going to go in and just be the dictator like i'm here to stop everybody from being bad and this is why i think that superman doesn't work in our current cultural he, he environment. does work you're supposed to relate to him on the humanity side because no. he relates to you because if i had those superpowers you bet your ass i'd be going out and just <sighs> like quelching all of these problems like with my fist <laughs> okay fair enough like, come at me look uh they also the Suicide Squad movie, which is now being directed by James Gunn. He wrote it, and now they're officially saying that he's going to direct it. It is their 
soft reboot to the Suicide Squad movies. It's not going to have a real connection to uh, the first Suicide Squad, which was just called Suicide Squad. Now it's the Suicide Squad. I assume I they do that. I assume that it's going to have Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn because how? Why would? DC Warner Brothers be like, yeah, we don't want to get rid of one of the biggest stars of our franchise, like, even though she's going to be doing a thousand other things with as Harley Quinn. Um, she, uh, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know what, what they're going to do with that movie. I'm, I'm in it for James Gunn, though. So, Oh, absolutely. Now, now do they bring back Will Smith as, as Deadshot? Uh, I mean, if they don't, I hope they compensate by having Dave Bautista in it. <laughs> I know he'd be down for yeah, it. He, of course he'd be down for it. I don't know who he'd play. He can't play. I mean, I, w- I would be pissed if I was the guy who played, I can't remember his name, who played uh, Killer Croc and they replaced him with Dave Bautista. Oh, no. I figure maybe they'd go with like King Shark or something. He could go King Shark. He could go as Bane, too. Yeah. yeah. That'd be pretty, Bane would be cool. That would be pretty cool. Uh, Warner Bros. also has two untitled mystery movies. One's oh, July, July 16, 2021 and... Uh, uh, October 1st, 2021. What did you just say? I said Swamp Thing. Oh, he could be Swamp Thing? I mean, I know he's technically not a Suicide Squad character, but you could tie him in somehow. You can throw anybody in yeah. a Suicide Squad. Um, that would be interesting because he's he's not not that Dave Bautista can't act. He, he's definitely shown that he can, he can now flex his acting ability, but, you know, Swamp Thing doesn't really talk all that much. Or they go completely opposite and make him like an intellectual character. They could do that. He could be the calculator, but like a really muscular calculator. That'd be pretty interesting. Yes. Okay. Uh, So that's Warner Brothers. Do you want to talk about the Suicide Squad, though? Yeah. Because the Suicide Squad, uh, or, not sorry, not the Suicide Squad, Harley Quinn. We're going to talk about Uh, Harley Quinn. The fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn. That's right. Um, They released a... I don't know what's the best way to put it. it. To me, it's a teaser trailer. But to me, it's it's what they did with the Joker, with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. You know, it's it's their lighting test, their costuming test, their makeup test that they filmed. And this is d- going to be DC's new thing, is to to release those things that usually aren't seen by anybody outside of the movie to get a whole bunch of hype for it. We can call it an appetizer? Sure. Appetizer sounds great. Um, you're going to... Because I think what you're going to do is you're going to get a huge reaction, either good or bad. So at this point, it's the beginning of the filming. They can either be like, oh, well, that's something we need to change or that's something that we need to steer heavily into. Well, it's if it's setting a tone, and that's pretty much all it is because you just get a few very, very brief glimpses. It's 20 seconds long. That's yeah. it. But it has really cool, like a really cool color palette. Um, it's got an interesting synth wave soundtrack for all 29 seconds of it that tickles me in just the right spot. Uh, I like how it looks. I like how it sounds. And I'm interested to see what they do with it. I don't know if that's exactly how it's going to look and sound. I, I still feel like it's... Because look, at other than Harley Quinn or Margot Robbie, the rest of them aren't in any costume. Like, even Black... Uh, Ewan McGregor, who's playing Black Mask, he's not wearing his Black Mask. And he's not dressed the way that you know Black Mask is usually depicted as dressed same as uh the dude that's playing victor zaz you know victor zaz is supposed to have scars all over his body and a shaved head but he has bleached hair than what he usually does i think it's michael medina something medina Mm. um 
uh, what's her face that's playing um, Huntress uh, from Sp- Scott Pilgrim? Mary Elizabeth Winstead. She is. She has a crossbow, which is Huntress' weapon of choice. But then, oh, then you also have uh, Julie Solmet Bell, who's playing uh, 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 Black oh, Black Canary. She's got their bleached blonde hair and a microphone, so they're definitely going with the version that's that used to be a pop singer. Now, uh, Cassandra Kane. Uh, a one time, uh, soon to be Batgirl. We have the young, super young version of her. She has a cast on. I don't know if that's part of the story or not, but uh, I, I don't. I really, under, I really want to know what they're going to be doing with her character because she is one of my favorite characters in the comic book, and especially when she took on the the mantle of uh, Batgirl. They're probably going to go more with the mantle of Orphan that she has now, but um, you know, I. From what I understand, they're, they're, the storyline is going to include her being kidnapped at some point and being held for ransom, and that's where the birds of prey are going to come try and save her. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just what I read. But that, I think that's an interesting story because she's not supposed to be a victim like that. Uh, and then Rosie Perez playing Renee Montoya, which very much upsets me because <laughs> I I really want a, a younger Ray Montoya, uh, Renee Montoya. I want someone that could possibly be the question. I want to see that version of uh, Gotham Detective I mean, nothing against Rosie Perez. I've liked her for a long time. If this was back in her uh, white men can't jump days, I would definitely say that she should play Renee Montoya. But she's kind of on the over the hillside. Man, that movie was like twenty five years ago. Only twenty five years ago? I feel I like so. it's much longer. But yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. So, okay, uh, I'm glad you're excited for it. Yeah, I want to see what they do. I mean, I think I'm more excited about the new Suicide Squad because of the James Gunn connection that it's going to have. But this one, if they can nail that tone and that uh, that musical sensibility, that I I'm in. Like that's it, it's like when I first watched the trailer for the new Blade Runner, and as soon as that first synth power chord hits, I'm like, I'm in. I don't care what happens. I'm gonna watch this movie. Yeah, and that's basically what this is doing. It's like <laughs> if this, if it's, if the rest of the movie is anything like this, I will be so down. I, I, I you know what? I'm bet, I'm betting this is going to be a movie that you really enjoy. Uh, but sounds like an insult. <laughs> it's not. It's really not. Uh, Warner Brothers is also developing an animated Batman Beyond movie for theatrical release. This I think is incredible. Like I think we all really want a live action version. Yes, and I know everybody wants Michael Keaton to play. Um, Old, old Bruce, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Uh, I don't, but that's just me. Um, I think he looks the part now. Yeah, <laughs> I still. He's not big enough. He's he's a scrawny dude. He was a scrawny dude when he was Batman. Well, I mean, he wasn't cast for his physicality. No, sure. he wasn't. <laughs> he's, it, but and that's why you get a Batman that doesn't do any fighting. He does a punch when this dude comes up and does the all the kicking and martial arts stuff. Man, with how buff he is, J.K. Simmons could be uh, old Bruce Wayne. He definitely could be old Bruce Wayne. I I think the um, dude that played Volstag would pl- would be a good um, oh Ray Stevenson. Yeah, Ray Stevenson. Thank mm-hmm. you. I think he'd make a great old Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he's he's definitely got the stocky build for it. Exactly. Uh, but one of the big things that come out of this is that they're looking for an Asian American actor to do the voice of Terry McGinnis. 
I mean, that seems a little weird to me, but you were mentioning that his mom is might be canonically Asian, so that would fit. Yeah. It just, to me, is like, I mean, I don't I don't think Terry McGinnis and think... Uh, but it's oh, also Asian. set in the future. I mean, the future, we're getting, we're getting towards a mixed-race world anyways. Well, yeah, like in uh, Star Trek Discovery, we have Michelle Yeoh playing a character named Alexandra Giorgio or something right, like that. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I, I get that. So, it's just interesting that that's a specific choice that they're making. Now, I... The animation in the cartoon, I mean, it was syndicated animation, but it was still pretty good. Um, I really hope they kind of go in a similar route with uh, Into the Spider-Verse as far as the animation style. That would be amazing. I I assume that's what this is uh, in response to. Yeah, like give it a little bit of a cel-shaded look to it. So it's more like two-dimensional with the three-dimensional intermediary. Mm -hmm. That would look so cool, especially because it takes place in the very... uh, not dystopian, but very Blade Runner-esque looking future. Lots of neon, lots of blacks. It could look so good. Oh, definitely. Now, let me ask you this. They go forward with this movie. They make it. It's completely animated. Voice actor. Do you go at, get Michael Keaton to, to do the voice of old Bruce Wayne? Or do you go to Kevin Conroy, the person that we know as the voice of Bruce Wayne and Batman? I mean, I'd prefer Kevin Conroy. Me too. Because he's just so much the character. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, the two Batmans I grew up with were Michael Keaton and Kevin Conroy. And um, to not have him... I mean, who else could you get that's just the voice that has that same imposing power? I mean, it's the voice of Batman. Yeah. We, we all know that voice is Batman. It's just... Uh, I, I, yeah. I, it's it, To me, it'd be a huge mistake if they didn't get Kevin Conroy to do the voice. I mean, if they got Michael Keaton, it would just be stunt casting, and it'd be just a complete waste. Yeah. Like, he doesn't emote anything that's Batman to me. No. It's, as much as a, he's a part of my childhood because he was the first real serious Batman. Right. I mean, those movies don't hold up. <laughs> They're <laughs> ridiculous. Exactly. That's how I feel about it. I was it. like, I just imagined him saying, you want to get nuts? You know, Let's like, get nuts. So, <laughs> so uh, speaking of Warner Brothers and their colossal mistake of getting rid of Zack Snyder, not that I loved his Batman v Superman or the whatever part of Justice League he did, he's finally going to be making a new movie. He's making a movie at Netflix uh, called Army of the Dead, which will be a zombie movie. Another, you know, just like he did Dawn of the Dead. Or, yeah, the, the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, is this is an original production or is it based on something? I, I want to say it's, a, it's another remake, but I have no clue. Yeah, because Army of the Dead doesn't sound familiar to me. Okay, he says, Snyder also came up with the story for Army of the Dead, which has a script by Joby Harold. The adventure is set amid a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, during which a man assembles a group of mercenaries to take the ultimate gamble, venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted. Oh, wow. That's a clash of genres right there. <laughs> it's a heist movie and a zombie movie all in Las Vegas. Wow, yeah. That's interesting. That's insane. <laughs> um, so it sounds like a little bit like, um, what are those uh, PlayStation or Xbox games where you're a photographer? I don't know. Those zombie games. Um, one of the characters is in Marvel vs. Capcom. I don't know. Ah, man, what is that stupid game called? <laughs> yeah. Fatal Frame? No, not Fatal Frame. It's um, you. Play- Outlast? Not Outlast. It's um. Let's see here. That's okay. I I'm, I'm gonna go on to the next story. All right. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> I mean, you important. can keep looking for it. Uh, but I want to talk about 
Hot Wheels, Mattel, and Warner Brothers. Wow, there's a lot of story about Warner Brothers this week. Oh, it's Dead Rising. Dead Rising. Oh, I didn't know that was... I didn't know he's a photographer. I know he, I know there's a thing that you can just grab anything and it becomes a weapon. No, yeah. The point of the story was that you're a photographer and you're there documenting what's going on. And yeah, it's a like a sandbox game. So mm-hmm. in the entire mall of the first game anyway, I think in the second one, it's the whole city. Um, you can grab anything. You can wear anything. So mm-hmm. you can look really, really stupid while you bash someone's head in with a baseball bat or lawnmower or anything. Or a, a patio uh, umbrella. I remember yes. that being a big It's just anything a big is a weapon. <laughs> well, Mattel and Warner Brothers is making a Hot Wheel live action movie. Um, we were kind of discussing this before we started recording. How do you make this into a movie? And to me, I feel like you make it like you make the Lego movie where you, we see the orange tracks and all the cars and stuff like that. Um, they don't know that they're toys, but we know that they're toys. What do you think? See, see, is this movie? I think that would be the most obvious way to go with it. Oh, so I'm obvious. Uh, <laughs> that, that's what you're saying. <laughs> well, see, Hot Wheels doesn't have like we were talking about this. Like you said, Hot Wheels doesn't really have any kind of narrative associated to it. Right. It could be whatever, and Lego could be whatever. Um, I mean, to some degree, yeah, like you can build stuff and there's licensed properties. There's also licensed cars within Lego. Right. Uh, I mean, within um, Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels. But there's really, the only point is just to, you know, collect exotic cars, collect favorite cars, and then put them on the yellow track and watch them go. Orange track. Or, yeah, orange. Uh, mine was just been in the sun too long. So. <laughs> um, I would prefer if this was more of a of a like a heist type movie where the point was collecting these like exotic cars yeah because you brought up uh gone in 60 seconds yeah i i figured to me gone in 60 seconds is like the ultimate unofficial hot wheels movie you can even make a play on the word that they're hot wheels because they're stolen right no that's very true so that to me feels like that would be more in line with it if it's literally something like well you know these cars or, or these people who race these cars on these orange loop-de-loop tracks don't know why they do it. They just do it and come to find out it's something meta. And I was like, well, I mean, okay, but Lego did that really well. So let's see if you have something that brings something new to the table for that kind of particular thing. We were discussing why, you know, how it's any different from adapting something like a board game like Monopoly. Right. And I was, you know, making the point, like, with Clue, there's a story that's going on. Right. Like, I understand Clue, but how do you turn Monopoly into a a movie? Like, it's just real estate. Well, there's a whole lot of, you know, the different people competing with each other and capitalism. And maybe at the end of it, you find out that, you know, the real fortune was in your friends and (laughs) charity as opposed to Yeah, because that's how every Monopoly game ends. You being okay with your friends. No, every game ends with you being pissed off at your friends. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like That could be the uh, the meta aspect of it is you find out that you know you had the real property all along was your friendship. Oh, jeez. But uh, yeah, and, you know, uh, to, to that point, I don't feel like I've ever played a single game of Monopoly my whole life by the rules. <laughs> Essentially, by the end of it, it all degrades to... Yeah, just, because it's, <laughs> so, it's such a long fucking game. You're just like, I don't care. I don't care. Here, take my money. I even remember playing the version that came with like a credit card reader. Yep. They would keep track of your money. And we're like, screw this. We just don't (laughs) even want to bother. Like, who has the most right now? Okay, you win. You're you're the winner. Way to go. 
Uh, last thing I want to talk about from Warner Brothers is Zazie Beetz did a interview with MTV News about Joker because she's in the movie. We don't exactly know. I don't think we exactly know what her role is. I think think some people have said that she's going to play uh, Joker's girlfriend, but which kind of pisses me off because Joaquin Phoenix is so much older than Zazie Beetz. But that's just me. Um, that's just Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I feel like we're supposed to be getting away from that shit. Well... I mean, old habits die hard. Okay. Nobody's complaining about ageism yet. That'll be the next big social cause. Well, it, it's it, it's a thing. It should definitely be a thing. Uh, Zazie Beetz in it in the interview, and this is one of the reasons why I'm not looking forward to this movie. Is talks about how they were constantly rewriting the script as they were filming. Like they'd be they'd go into the tra- into uh, Todd Phillips' trailer. They would write the scene, rewrite the scene, and then go out and film it. And like that pisses me off. Like. This, I feel like it, the movie's not getting the respect that it should then. Possibly, but some movies have been completely rewritten during production and even in post in editing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I understand that's the process, but like, or that's a process with some movies, but can you point to one that, that, that happened and it, it was a good movie? 40 Year Old Virgin. It was rewritten as is. Um, or at the day as they were filming. Well, it wasn't so much that it was rewritten; it's that that they did so much ad libbing. Yeah, but see, that's different, and then and that's also a comedy. Joker is not gonna is not shouldn't be a comedy. It should have comedic elements. Yes, well, it has a comedic director. It definitely has a comedic director. Look, this is what I'm talking about. This movie, I maybe and that's my problem is I have no idea what this movie is supposed to be, and nobody does right now. And and <laughs> the, but that's also the problem is that the Joker has a tone. The Joker has a place in the in the DC universe. It doesn't the what the, the movie that sounds like they're making is so removed from the Joker that it should have just been called something else. It should have just been something else. Welcome to Ghostbusters 2016. Welcome to <laughs> that, but so see, many other I properties. don't agree with that. I I don't feel like that was removed from what Ghostbusters was. Yeah. It really was. It really wasn't. It was. That's another topic. We don't need to talk about that right now. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, to me, I, it, it, it just kind of ticks me off. Well, I get that you're pissed off because I would be pissed off too if I felt it was a franchise or a character that really, really deserved to be uh, canonized a certain way. Just the fact that they're making a movie about the Joker alone. I mean, on one hand, it's really progressive because it's the first time we're going to focus on the villain only. Well, Venom. Not a villain, though. I'll give you that. He's he's to me, Venom is not a villain. Venom is an antihero. Yeah. Well, I mean, he started as a villain, but definitely that's not what this movie was. He started as something. I wouldn't say that he started as a villain. Okay. I don't think he started as an antihero though, because he definitely wasn't trying to save anyone or be good. Um. At first, he just was basically an but, antagonist for. Well, Parker. yeah, that's ex- true. He was just an antagonist for Peter Parker. I don't feel like he went around killing, like purposefully. Mm, I think there was a few collateral damages around the time, but we'll get back to that. We'll get back to time. that. Maybe I need to bone up on my ven- venom. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this is at least it's trying something different. But are you supposed to have movies that are about the villain? Is is the char- is the villain the character you're supposed to follow? I mean, we're gonna get a. Shazam or Black Adam movie apparently or is that still in the world? Well, he's also an anti-hero too. Is he really? I yeah. thought he was straight up villain. No, he's an oh, anti-hero. No, he's, he's supposed to be like... He's part of the Justice League at one point. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with Black Adam enough then to make a comment on that. <laughs> but I guess the point is I 
he's I essentially he's essentially Namor. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off again, but he's a, he's Namor the Submariner. He's like he'll do whatever he deems the correct thing to do to save his people of okay. his nation. Yeah, I've heard that. He's like a, a he's got the responsibility of his people, so sometimes he does things that seem dickish. Right. It's for the best or whatever. Right. No, so I guess my point is I applaud them for trying something different, even if it seems a little desperate. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a movie from the point of view of the villain. Um, although f- in actuality, the main problem is we don't really know how this even connects to the Batman universe because they've been throwing around the idea that this is a meta movie where it's a, a, the character is actually aware that there is, uh, in this world, there's a fictional Batman and a fictional Joker, and he just decides to become the Joker for real. But see, I don't see how that could work when they're going to have a Thomas Wayne. But do we really know if he's going to be playing Thomas Wayne? Because we don't even know who this character is playing. They've only referred to him as, like, Art uh, something. Like, he's got a really weird name. Oh, I thought they... Arthur Fleck, I think. Is oh, yeah. Arthur... Uh, the Joker? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's... Yeah, they did call him Arthur Fleck at, at one point. Yeah. So, like, that's his, his name right now. So, obviously, that's not a canonical Joker name. True. Um, so, we don't know if the person they're saying is going to be actually Thomas Wayne or just somebody that's going to be playing a Thomas Wayne-like role. It, it's... I've heard that this is going to be a meta movie, and that would be really bizarre. But... Well, it would be doing something different at least and sometimes you need to go you know take that risk in order to inspire future generations like maybe this has to be the martyr you know like it's going to be a terrible movie it's going to suck but it's going to have some grandiose idea or it's going to change the way that people think about things where it could lead to you know maybe something more interesting down the line maybe it's got to take one for the team (laughs) uh okay so let's talk about child's play Sci-fi is is the one that's going to be developing, uh, or is in development for a Chucky series. Like well, they've talked about it, there's the new movie that's going to be coming out. Yeah, that's going to reboot the whole thing, and then there's also going to be this series. Uh, how do you feel about a Chucky TV series? I don't know if it can lend itself to a series, especially if they're going to go with the tone of the later iterations of the movie, where it just became really campy. <laughs> Like, how can it not be campy, though? It's a doll. It's a doll that comes to life and kills people. I mean, yeah, like, that's... Unfortunately, that happens a lot with horror movies. Like, that might be the subject of my next editorial, is how (laughs) the horror franchises of the late 80s, early 90s, just due to the culture, de-evolve into parodies of themselves. They really did. That's the only way they can stay relevant. That's true. I mean, you go from having Leprechaun terrorizing people in a farmhouse to then being in the hood and then in space. <laughs> You're right. And even Jason goes into space. Jason went into space, too. And Hellraiser went into space. I mean, it's like, there's a whole... I mean, we never got Jason in, or uh, Freddy in space, unfortunately. That, yeah, that's... I mean, people have to sleep when they're in outer space, too. I would imagine. And, I mean, you have nowhere else to go. Would, what was the name of the 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 um, the city that Elm Street existed in? Oh, do you um, remember? Maybe that's the reason why it doesn't go into space because there's no streets. In, there's no Elm Street. In there's space. no Elm Street on on a, on a rocket ship. Like I was gonna say, whatever city it is that they they that that always the Elm Street takes place in could have been the name of the rocket ship. But you know, I've or always the spaceship had, or whatever. I know that there is a specific city that it's supposed to take place in, um, and I think in Freddy versus Jason, they made it so that they they were within driving distance of each other. Of Crystal Lake. Yeah, exactly. I remember that. Yeah. Um, although I can't remember specifically which one that was. 
Uh, nevertheless, I always had this idea in my head, and I don't know if anybody else has thought of it, but I always felt like, because there's an Elm Street in the, the town we live in. There is. I think there's an Elm Street in just about every town. That was the whole point. Was yeah, that it you, could be any town USA. Yeah. But I had this idea that what if Freddy is cursed in a way that he can like, he can manifest himself but only across Elm Streets uh, <laughs> in, the, in the country. Or yeah. Even in the world, if there was an Elm Street in China, he could technically go there. Right. No, I get that. Like, that would be kind of interesting. Like, so what if uh, they did that in, uh, you know, it's the future, it's a space station, but they have, like, these simulated living areas that look kind of like a neighborhood. You know, that's how big it is. Right. Kind of like Elysium, yeah. if you remember. Or, that, uh, yeah. I think also... Uh, Interstellar. Interstellar yeah. has that, too, yeah. So, yeah, like one of the little blocks, you know, happens to be ceremoniously named Elm Street. And it's, it's a descendant of one of the people from one of the earlier movies that survived. And they brought the Curse of Freddy with them up in space. It's like it totally is doable. Blumhouse should do it. I, I'm all for it. That, that, that's fine. Go and nest, go, bring Freddy Krueger in outer space. They are. I mean, I think they're supposed to be doing a... I mean, I imagine if they did another remake or another reboot of Elm Street, it would be... Uh, they're gonna they're gonna start off on on Earth again. They're not gonna go straight to outer space, but hell, who, who knows? Yeah, I hear they are doing another Jason. Uh, well, that yeah, Freddy Krueger. Well, yeah, Jason Freddy Krueger do Friday Thirteenth, and I heard they're gonna do another Freddy Krueger. Like they did the one with the uh, what's that guy's name? The dude from the dude that plays Rorschach. Oh yeah, Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, they did that one. What's 2010 or 2009 or something like that. I don't remember when they did it. But it's they not did. important. That one sucked. <laughs> uh, did you know that, uh, not Warner Brothers, but Disney Marvel is releasing Black Panther in, was it 100 theaters or something like that? A whole bunch of theaters with AMC um, where between February 1st and February 7th to commemorate Black History Month, Two di- two times a day, you can go, see, or they're gonna be playing Black Panther, and you can go see it for free. That's crazy, and that has nothing to do with them wanting to get an Oscar. I mean, it probably does. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. It's part of it's probably part of their campaign as well, but it also is a big part. I mean, because you think you take into account that Black Panther came out at the beginning of last year, so it it hurts them to not be noticeable um, at the end of the year, like most. Oscar movies are Oscar nominated movies are so this puts them back in the rotation in everybody's forefront of their minds but yes it is also to commemorate Black History Month well first of all that is really awesome uh, too bad we don't have any AMC's nearby that we can take advantage we of we absolutely this do not and that does suck but uh, I think that's pretty cool uh, now prediction wise what do you think are your ch- the chances that Black Panther will win big at the uh Honestly, I think this is when you come in and say and the 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 standby saying of it's just an honor to be nominated. I think that's truly what it is because yeah. there's no way they're going to win, <laughs> but it is a big uh help for the genre of comic book movie to be nominated like this and also the fact that it was a completely uh African American African cast except for Bilbo Except for Bilbo, you know, and, and Gollum, and Gollum, yeah, that's right. So I think it's 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 pretty great that you know we're get, the comic book genre, comic book movie genre is getting is getting noticed in this way, or recognition it, in this way. I feel like, um, I mean, obviously Heath Ledger won for best actor 
post post-mortem yeah yeah but was it best actor or best supporting actor um uh, i want to say support maybe it was best supporting actor. yeah uh but even so i mean as much as i wanted heath ledger to win I was like, there's just no way that this was done like as a you know commemorative, like yeah. in honor of him and all that. But uh, there's no way he's actually going to get it. And sure enough, he got it. And I'm like, holy crap! Like, what else am I wrong about in life? Because <laughs> I was so sure he would, he would not. Like, if there's anything I can bet on, I can bet he will not get this Oscar. Yeah. And so now I'm like, but I just don't know if I, I can trust I, myself. I, it's not. It's not going to happen. I'll be happy if it does, but it's not yeah, going to happen. Same here. I guess I'd be in that same position. <laughs> uh, do you remember the dark universe universe Universal Studios was trying to produce? The universe that never happened? The universe that just never got off the ground. Yeah. Well, who knows? It might still be alive because the Invisible Man is going to be getting made uh, over at Blumhouse, where they're going to be making it you know, and then distributed by Universal and they have a director. The director of Upgrade is going to be directing Lee Wenell, I want to say his name is. Wenell. Yeah, W-H-A-N-N-E-L-L. Uh, I think that's pretty great. Uh, Johnny Depp is also out as Invisible Man. So everything that you've been saying about this is really good news to me. Okay. Uh, one, being at Blumhouse means that they're going to be much more mindful of their budget. Yep. It's going to have to rely a lot more on like creativity. Mm-hmm. Uh, the director for Upgrade, I haven't seen it, but that trailer rocked. Oh, I'm surprised you haven't seen it yet, dude. That movie is so amazing. I just haven't gotten It's the Venom it. movie that I wanted. I'm, that's, I mean, even I made that joke, and without having seen it, I'm like, <laughs> this looks like uh, it would be a better Venom movie. Yeah. Um, so, uh, interesting, good director. Uh, good company, producer, yeah. Yeah, company that appreciates horror and like knows how to make the most of a small budget. Mm-hmm. Um Johnny Depp not being in it means that it won't be weighted down with uh, ridiculous salary and demands and True. Uh, creative choices. I mean, that's one of the problems I feel that The Mummy had is that Tom Cruise was way too involved in that. And it just became like an action Tom Cruise vehicle, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, this way, you can start small, set up the universe uh, you know, with good writing, and then start working everything else into it if it actually takes off. And I mean, it's it'd be like you know Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Marvel took a risk with it. They hired a director who wasn't really known for big budget action movies, right. and an actor who had a lot of problems, and to say the least, to say the and least, a character that was very like C list. Oh, oh, definitely. Like Iron Man, though a founding member of the Avengers, not one of their highest selling books. Yeah. So, I mean. This could be the way to do it right. It could be low risk. So if it fails as well, then it you know, it's on Blumhouse's dime, and it won't be that much of it anyway. So this everything about this sounds good. This is like some people are making good decisions here. Yeah. All right. So and if it becomes more part of their dark universe reboot, then I'm more for more more power to it. Absolutely. I'd love to see a Blumhouse produced uh, uh, werewolf movie. Yes. Is that Del Toro one? Oh, not Del, was it Del Toro? Benicio, Benicio Del Toro, yeah. yeah. It was Benicio. And <laughs> Joe Wright, I think, was the director. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah. So, also, uh, let's talk about Dune. Now, we've talked about Dune a few times on here. We have a uh, new, some new uh, casting. Um, Oscar Isaacs is joining the cast as the father of. Timothy Chalamet's character? I 
don't think that's who that is, but I can't remember. You sure? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Okay, well, I have to check it out. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen the the or remember the characters' names. Uh, well, Simmons Chalamet is playing Paul Atreides, though, right? He's the the main character. I the, believe says, so. Follows Paul Atreides, whose family assumes control of the desert planet Arrakis. Okay, then yeah, then then he should be the father. Based so then on he, that. he'll be okay. Um, and then also more recently, Javier Bardem joined the cast. Yes, I believe he's playing the leader of the the rebels or the spice miners. I forget his character's name as well. But to that point, every new person that they keep announcing is like wow. Like you're getting some it's, good people. It's on huge here. cast. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, it makes sense because Dune is a huge story. Yeah, because like if I remember correctly from earlier reports, is that this movie is going to only be the first part of the first book. I mean that makes sense. That first book is dense. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I guess Denny Villeneuve is at least planning to do two movies. At if least uh, I would imagine that the first book could be a trilogy. Ooh, just a, alone. Yeah, it better do well in that first that first movie. Then. Yeah, definitely. They got to <laughs> pull a Lord of the Rings. Because I mean, as much as critics and you know probably people who really loved Blade Runner loved Blade Runner twenty forty nine. It didn't do well in the box office. Unfortunately. So as beautiful as that movie looked and sounded, you know, you never got to go further with it. So hopefully this is different. Yeah. And you know what's funny about Blade Runner 2049 is that I feel like Harrison Ford's involvement kind of weighed it down. Uh, I would say the same. He bloated it. There was so much in there that you could have cut out that had to do with his character. And it would have been a much more streamlined movie and still be just as interesting. Like, you could have had a reference to Harrison Ford's character, and it would have had the same effect. You wouldn't have to have had that overly long, ridiculous fight in that Vegas hotel room. or Which was unnecessary. Yeah, all that exposition that didn't need to happen. Uh, all that orange <laughs> sand. <laughs> like, it was just, yeah, that whole section just gave me, like, chills, like, in the bad way. <laughs> it felt like my skin was crawling. Uh Okay, so you were also talking about John Favreau earlier. Well, he's making for Disney Plus, uh, the streaming app, the streaming network for Disney, The Mandalorian, which is supposed to take place after Return of the Jedi and before uh, Force Awakens. Yeah, I think it takes place right after Return okay. of the Jedi. Um, yeah, so he tweeted out a photo of the infamous R five D four droid. Also known as Skippy the Jedi droid, if you're into the uh, Elseworlds stories. Why is that? Well, there was a series, uh, it was a graphic novel called um, Star Wars, uh, what was it, Continuity or something like that? And in it, they have all these Elseworlds stories of like, well, what if this happened? And one of the stories was actually later adapted to what is now canonically the death of Darth Maul. Okay. Um, was it called Continuities? I, I, I can't remember the title. But anyway, yeah, so within this collection of stories, like what-if stories, essentially, um, you have the story of Skippy the Jedi droid, which it basically follows the what happens with the R5-D4 right up to the moment when he gets sold to 
um, the Lars homestead on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And then his bad motivator explodes, and that causes them to get R2 instead. Right. So within this story, it turns out that he becomes self-aware. Um, as we know, or at least as how it was made canon in um, Attack of the Clones, um, robots in the Star Wars universe are not self-aware. They're just machines. They're really well-programmed machines, but everything is essentially just logic-driven. Right. Well, not with Jedi or Skippy the Jedi droid. He actually gains a mind of his own, very short circuit style. Mm -hmm. And he was a slave droid working on um, Jabba's palace. So when he gains his like independence, he decides to just leave and he starts wandering the desert. And while he's wandering the desert, he realizes that he's connected to the force, (laughs) even though he's a machine. So he has to blow himself up so that they choose the R2 unit? So essentially, yes. So essentially everything he does in the story, it's because he's listening to the will of the Force and he's saying, oh, the Force is telling me to go over here now. And now the Force is telling me to make myself visible to these Jawas coming up. And then, uh, yeah, right up to, uh, it's essentially happening side by side with all the events of Episode 4 at the beginning. And right when they buy him, he was like, Okay, now the force is telling me I need to uh, blow myself up because so he has to make the ultimate sacrifice yes. so that the the balance to the force can be restored. That is correct. And when they mention like, oh, it looks like this robot has a bad motivator, uh, you know, in his thought bubbles, Skippy the Jedi droid is saying, "Bad motivator," I'm like, incorrect. Actually, I'm the most motivated droid of them all, or something like that, because I'm being motivated by the Force. So, do you think that uh, this is the same R four or R five unit that is in that movie? I would that, hope so. That John Favreau's Instagramming out here because if we had a self aware droid that was repaired, <laughs> and uh, what I would like to see, because this happened on Tatooine, obviously, and right. Tatooine is where Boba Fett infamously like fell to his doom in the Sarlacc pit. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe not infamously, we just don't know yet because it uh, hasn't been canonized if he survived. I would like for him to be, uh, if they introduce Boba Fett again, maybe he's his companion. Wow. I mean, we see units like that used for flying or navigating uh, spaceships, right? Yeah, he's uh, these types of droids are astromech droids, so they aid in the computational flight paths. And so all then... That. Does the Slave 1 need an, a droid? It shouldn't. Sh- uh, ships of that size have their, their own internal computers, um, like we saw in Solo. Okay. Um, that one, not only did it have its own built-in computer, they also like purposely put in the brain of another droid that they had because of its computational mm, data. Just like they end up doing with, uh, what's her face? Yeah, with uh, L3. L3, yeah. And um, yeah, so a ship that size wouldn't need one. Um, but you could still have one just kind of like as extra RAM, essentially, is what these kind <laughs> An of... external function. hard drive. Basically, yeah. <laughs> um, you only really need droids for small fighters like the X-Wings and so on. The but not TIE Fighters. No, TIE Fighters are basically cheap. Um, they're short range, so they don't have life support systems oh. or uh, hyperdrive systems. So then it's a bigger deal when Vader and his TIE Fighter go flying off into outer space and eventually land on that planet. Yes, that's why that one has like its own shield system and life supports because it's also much bigger. Oh, okay. And um, it's it's also a prototype. I don't think those went into mass production in the original canon. Oh. Uh, in the video game, they play a really big part, but they look much different by the end of it. They're like tri-winged Tie Fighters. Um, yeah, there's a whole lot of Star Wars lore we can no, get into. No, there's a lot of Star Wars lore. I don't but, believe it. <laughs> but 
that's my hope is that um, if they somehow canonize that Boba Fett survived or maybe they just want to be coy about it and it's like, oh yeah, I picked this junker up on Tatooine from some some uh, Jawas. And, um, did he buy it from the Jawas or did he take it from the Jawas, do you think? Well, actually, that's a good point because then uh, those Jawas were technically murdered afterwards. Mm. So, I mean, Skippy the Jedi droid might have been rolling around several hands along the way. And okay. eventually made its way. Like I'd like to see him maybe also wind up in Waddle's shop for a little while. That would be interesting. And then like his new slave boy is like repairing him. <laughs> and I was like, I had another slave boy once. <laughs> you have a lot to live up to, kid. Uh, all right. So th- that's that. Um, Picard. Let's start. Let's talk about a little bit of Star Trek now that we're talking about. Just got finished talking about Star Wars. Uh, his new show, which will be, is a spinoff from Star Trek Discovery. Um, so it's taking place in the Kelvin timeline is going to take place after he retires from Starfleet. So that's interesting. Okay. So we had a few, uh, conversations about this prior, but I was commenting how that title was kind of misleading at first. Yeah. The headline was, yeah. Cause it made me think, Oh, he never became a captain in this timeline. Interesting. Like what would Picard have done if he wasn't a Starfleet officer? And, I mentioned how they could have played around with the idea of him being some kind of space explorer um, because they in within Star Trek The Next Generation, it's mentioned that uh, one of his favorite courses in Starfleet was uh, essentially like space anthropology and mm-hmm. archaeology. And um, it would have been really cool for him to basically be like space Indiana Jones. <laughs> you know, would he be going, recapping or would he be going on the adventures himself? Like, like I mean, Patrick Stewart. Well, they could have gone both ways, actually. Like, yeah. he could still have been, like, the aged explorer, or he could have been, they could have done it, like, the young Indiana Jones style, where he, as an old man, he's, he's telling, telling the, the stories. stories. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in reality, it's, it's much more simple than that. He's just retired now. and Yeah, because this, this all comes from uh, Jonathan Frakes doing an interview. It says, uh, the feeling is, the Next Generation cast, would love to be a part of it, but the feeling is also that it's Patrick Stewart's show. Uh, having said that, I can't imagine a world where there's no reference to what happened to the next to the rest of the next generation cast. Patrick isn't playing Captain Jean-Luc Picard this time. He's done with that phase of his career in Starfleet in the show. That's about the only thing I know about the show. So we're getting this all from Jonathan Frakes. So another reason which I assume will probably in, end up directing a couple of the episodes because he directs a lot of TV. What were you gonna say? I was going to say, they do kind of make a quick reference in The Next Generation in the series finale, All Good Things. Uh, They show a little bit of what his post-Starfleet career would look like. Mm -hmm. And he basically is like working a vineyard on some farm on Earth. Because I guess he decides to just become a vintner, I suppose. That makes sense. He's French. um, Yeah. (laughs) Supposed to be. Right. Um, But, like you said, like this is that timeline technically never happened because that was more like an alternate timeline. Although if this is the Kelman verse, then it is an alternate timeline anyway. Right. So I wonder if it's going to be something like that. But obviously when the Kelvin, Kelvin timeline, uh, they, I feel like they've had more of a, a battle torn timeline, like with the whole stuff going on with the Romulans. Yes. And we still don't know what, effect ultimately that's going to have right on like present time wouldn't be the correct way to say well, it but you know the future events of next generation time yeah yeah i get i get you all right uh okay let's talk about bill and ted 
Now, did you know that Steven Soderbergh, that Steven Soderbergh was a uh, 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 a producer on this movie, the Bill and Ted third movie? No. I did it. Neither did I. I fucking insane but yeah he was being interviewed and he said uh you know what would be a cool uh christmas present would be um bill and ted's third movie bill and ted face the music at christmas of this year you believe that shit i mean that sounds like they're very heavily in production if they have a, a less than a year away time frame true but like if you think about it Neither one of those movies are heavily like special effects, so it could be done. I suppose it could be very guerrilla style. Now, th- do I remember hearing something correctly that they're planning on filming in Phoenix, Arizona? Well, the first one was filmed in Mesa, Arizona. Interesting. Yeah, the the campus of San Dimas High School is uh, Mesa Community College. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it didn't even take place in California. And then Waterloo, I think is what they called it. Oh, yeah, that the, water park. The water park was Golfland Sunsplash. So there's it took it took place in Mesa, Arizona. So it could, I don't I didn't hear that rumor, but it could take place again in Phoenix, or at least shoot in Phoenix, I should say, not take place. Maybe they go back to that same high school. They could. They college. Yeah. They might, they might even, you know, there might be a point where they go and see their younger selves again. Like they use some fucking footage that was shot or not used or used and you know they're in that circle k parking lot again and they're in the back they're in the back of the auditorium as they're giving their presentation kind of thing you know the only thing that sucks is that you just i mean even if you used uh, old or unused footage um not having uh george, george carlin, carlin yeah that like, that does blow that and, and who were they getting to replace his character it was a. Uh, Oh, I didn't. I don't think I heard anything about this. Yeah, they're planning to use someone else to kind of stand in for that character. When so I'm like, well, I mean, that guy's funny too, but he's no George Carlin. Uh, no one's going to be a George Carlin. Yeah. So he's just kind of. You either have to go strong in another direction with the character, or you know, like I, I, I think I heard somewhere that someone suggested Lily Tomlin, like to be that that version, like not not the same character, but a, another helper kind of character. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty awesome. I don't even know what his character's role was other than... He's their their uh, uh, spiritual guider, <laughs> essentially. He's uh, he's the, the Indian from uh, the Doors movie. Yeah. Guiding exactly. them on the path. Yep. Yep. That's, that's exactly what it is. So, I, I don't know. I, if this comes out by Christmas, that, that would be fucking spectacular. But it does seem like a little quick to, to happen. But the big thing to come out of that is Steven Soderbergh is a producer on this movie. That's fucking insane. Yeah. I mean, like, I you could name so many different producers, and you'd be like, okay, I could see that. All right. But then Steven Soderbergh yeah. attached to Bill and Ted 3. Yeah. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, so one of the, the, one of, one of the, la- the last story we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about a trailer here in a second. Last story is Kevin Smith, Jay and Silent Bob reboot gets uh, a home. Uh, Saban Films, who used to own the the Power Rangers fucking licensing yeah. movie rights, is is where they're going to be making that Jay and Silent Bob movie. Is that's in, that's awesome? Like we're getting the Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie, but it just seemed weird that it'd be at Saban Films, right? Well, I mean, now that the Weinstein's are no longer, you know, <laughs> it's true available, you know, that can create uh, some difficulty. I think he went to a couple other places since then, though. He, like he, uh, I want to say. Tusk was made at 
Lionsgate or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, well, anyways, so kind of going back to the whole storyline. We talked about it a little bit before we recorded, but I'm really interested because, like, where do we go from here? Like, a lot of things have happened in the real lives of both Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Yeah. And we also mentioned how there's a lot of recurring characters that aren't necessarily fond of, like, the characters they play. Mm -hmm. So, like, what would you see as if it's literally a reboot? Uh, would this be like none of the stuff that happened before happened and they're just kind of starting from scratch? Like this is the story of Jay and Silent Bob? or I, It could be meta that way, but from what I understand is that Hollywood is rebooting the Jay and Silent Bob movies. So they, once again, the, Jay and si- the real Jay and Silent Bob are going to travel across the country to go and stop them from re- making this a... Because they want to do the, the cr- Blunt Man and Chronic movie. Mm-hmm. They want to reboot that, and they want to make it darker and more uh, grim, kind of like you know, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, and uh, Jay, Jay and Silent Bob want to travel across to be like, no, that's not right. You can't do that kind of thing. So, <laughs> you know, and then they get into their shenanigans again. But uh, as long as I, they don't have another orangutan, I was like, I always thought that was kind of weak. Yeah, uh, well, it, it 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 you know it um, fucking ties in mall rats, so. It's just that was one. it Mallrats? Yeah, it was Mallrats. Okay, it was that very last uh, post credits? Yeah, uh, exactly. Mid credit scene. Yeah. But. So I don't know. Like, uh, Kevin Smith humor hasn't aged well for me. It will. I mean, that's it's it's very much college high school humor. Yeah, I'm very far removed from that now. For that time <laughs> and place when I was first exposed. But I to can it. still watch. I can still watch Clerks and Mallrats and and think it's hilarious. Like Dogma is still a great movie. I feel like. Oh, yeah, I love Dogma. Dogma was actually my introduction to Kevin Smith. Mallrats was mine. Um, I remember hearing about Clerks in high school, but it like was taken out that same weekend from the theater because it did so bad. Well, I mean, it was, a, it was a truly indie movie. Yeah, Mallrats, I remember seeing one commercial for it, but I don't even think it came to my town at the Pro- time. Maybe not. Uh, so, yeah, and then Chasing Amy completely wasn't even on my radar. And it wasn't until <sighs> my least favorite. Dogma came out. That I mean, because of the controversy about it, I remember hearing a lot of oh, people protesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first one I watched, and I'm like, "Whoa! Like, where's this movie been on my life? This is exactly <laughs> where I am right now, humor-wise. I mean, I think I was way more potty mouth back then than I am now. <laughs> so it like Jay just really resonated with me. That makes sense. And um, yeah, and then I became a big Kevin Smith fan from there. Like that was what like late '90s, '99, 2000. No, oh, it was 2000 because I was in college. Yeah, so. Then, uh, so that was that was just such a perfect time. The world was still so innocent, and <laughs> my whole life was ahead of me. I mean, and then obviously, as he got older, he made movies that you know reflected more of what his point in life. Like Jersey Girl is one of my favorites, and that was him dealing with his father's death, and then mm-hmm. um, you know making Yoga Hosers was uh, his movie for his daughter. He made that one so his daughter could have an acting vehicle. Tusk was him super frustrated. Well, Tusk and Red State were him super frustrated with the whole Hollywood machine in the in the in the general, and the idea that he can make his own movies. He didn't need anybody else. So, and then Cop Out was him thinking he could be friends with Bruce Willis. <laughs> well, Cop. I also think Cop Out is weird because that's you know it's not his. It's the one movie that he directed that he didn't write. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and you know, uh, and yeah, he made he made he became quote-unquote friends with Bruce Willis on 
Die Hard. Five? Four? Four? Live Free or Die Hard? Oh, okay. Yeah, because the fifth one is A Good Day to Die Hard. So, yeah, Live Free or Die Hard, uh, where, you know, he got cast to play the the nerd character, and then uh, Bruce kept coming up to him being like, hey, could you rewrite this scene, you know, as they were filming it and stuff like that. Once again, reca- rewriting scenes as they're, fi- they're filming it, not good. Not a good idea, no. <laughs> so. I was like, write it so that... I survive this helicopter crash in the most ludicrous way possible. And then shoot a, or drive a car into it, <laughs> yeah. uh, jump a car and drive it into it. So, uh, I'm excited. I, I, I can't wait to see this movie. I hope it's kind of a return to form. It, it gives me, I hope it's in the same um, feel as Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. But like we said, he's a different director now. He's a different storyteller. Yeah, like there's so much stuff that's happened to him. I really hope, and I mean, we talked about this again, but I really hope that this means if this does good that he follows through and makes a, a clerk's trilogy i mean we, and we talked about that you know it's jeff anderson doesn't want to come back you know i i believe well i don't know where miramax had the rights to clerks if i remember correctly when that one got released so i don't know if they have the if disney still owns the rights to the clerk's characters like kevin was smart enough to make uh in his contract that he owned the right to jane silent bob the so, characters yeah yeah so he can take those wherever he wants, but the the, Mir- the clerk's title might might be a Miramax thing. I think it's Miramax, possibly. And then that whole thing is tied down to some bad history recently. Well, I don't like you said with the Weinstein's. I don't know if that's if he. They, I know that's where he made a couple movies at the Weinstein Company, but I don't know if the Weinstein's own anything that they made when they were ma- at Miramax. Well, Miramax distributed Clerks and. Mallrats, I believe. Yeah, or which are no uh, Gramercy. Universal, Universal did Mallrats. Uh, yeah, Gramercy and Universal. That's right. Yeah, Miramax is Disney. Well, it was Disney mm, okay. when that was still a thing. Okay, last thing we're going to talk about is Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. They released a trailer for the fa- first Fast and the Furious spinoff movie. And good lord, did they go straight into being fucking comic book movie, and I'm all for it. This looks like, I mean, it's not a stretch to say that this is almost like Crank. <laughs> it's it's Crank, and uh, the other guys, and uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what's the buddy cop version of a superhero movie at this point. But yeah, it's it's everything ludicrous. Like like, Blue Beetle and uh, Booster Gold. Yeah, movie. if they were ever to make a Blue Beetle or Booster Gold movie, like this is exactly what it'd be. Do you remember in the movie the other guys when it's Sam Jackson and the Rock and they're jumping out of the building? And they're like, remember, aim for the bushes, and then they <laughs> yeah. end up dying. Like, there's a scene in this trailer where the two of them are gonna jump out of a window, and all they have is to to grab onto a, a rope, but then Jason Statham, like, or I'm sorry, Shaw's character goes, goes down in the elevator, but after Hobbs jumps out of the window and I, that's all I was thinking was like, is he going to tell him to aim for the bushes? Like that's insane. But yeah, the movie goes for it. it. It goes all out. It's over the top and I'm all for it. No, the, the villain is literally super powered and enhanced. It's <laughs> they make a point to say he's bulletproof and like super powerful. Yes. He's, he's essentially gone through fucking, uh, the super soldier serum from Captain yeah. America. And he's a little bit of a winter soldier too. It's Idris Alba playing the, the villain and he's just, he's insane super villain. It's, it's amazing. 
Yeah, I, I, I definitely can't wait for this. <laughs> like, I started getting really glassy-eyed with all the Fast and Furious movies, how they were just becoming more and more ludicrous. But this one did it just right. It's like, <laughs> all right, now we're back on. It, it curved so much, it's right back around. You know, that's uh, one of the things... Uh, so one of the things I think is interesting that's being brought up, because a lot of, quote-unquote, fans of the Fast and the Furious franchise is saying um, we're getting a movie now where Shaw is the hero, but he killed Han back in number six, six or seven. One of the, I think it's six, the ending well, of Fast and Furious 6. Well, technically Tokyo Drifts. Yeah, but, them, but well, we don't know well, that we, it was Shaw that, that killed it. Six, yeah. yeah, so it's we know it's Shaw in six. So how do you, like the hashtag justice for Han is going around. Like, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about Shaw becoming a hero? Like, which he did become at the end of Fate of the Furious. So, number eight. Well, I mean, they definitely show that they're not buddies here at first. No, yeah. Hobbs and Shaw hate each other. Yeah. Um, And, I mean, it could be seen that, you know, at some point, Shaw was kind of helping to pull the strings to um, kill or kill off uh, Hobbs's team at some point even though he didn't do it directly right and then but also you know that's because Charlie Theron's character was pulling his strings yeah so I feel like it's gonna be one of those situations where we're gonna have like a Jamie Lannister turn of events where you're gonna realize oh like this guy everybody thought was the bad guy all along because he did something really atrocious well in reality we didn't really know you know, something's going to get revealed and he's going to have like a, a, a redemption. Look, no, see, I'm all for it. <laughs> I understand what you're trying to say, but there's no like we didn't know all along with Jamie Lannister. Like he did that. He pushed Bran out of the window just because he's evil. Like he's got he's been redeemed, but there was no, oh, I had to do it because of something else. Well, I mean, maybe they had a Dumbledore moment and Han was like, Hey Shaw, like I'm actually dying of cancer, so like I like, need you to make this look like an accident. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing that I see happening, and I I don't put it out of the realm of the Fast and the Furious franchise, is because they did it already with Michelle Rodriguez. Han's not actually dead. Like even though we went to his funeral, you know, you know, we saw the characters born for him and all that stuff. How do you feel about that? If Han ends up being showing up in the next Fast and the Furious movie, and he's like, "Hey, I'm not dead," because they're going to do that with uh, Gil- Gal Gadot's characters supposedly on uh, the female-driven Fast and the Furious movie. I mean, at this point, you might as well. Sure, why not? I mean, it's honestly, I mean, the actor's still alive. I mean, the only one we can't bring back is Paul Walker. So, and they're already talking about bringing back his brothers to play him, and they play still that might character. do that. I mean, if they bring back Paul Walker's character before Han. I mean, that's just a slap in the face to the character. <laughs> I was like, we don't even have the actual actor around, and we're making a movie about him coming back from the dead. You know, that's crazy. That's crazy talk. Uh, I don't know. But, but I have to say that I'm all for this Hobbs and Shaw movie and uh, whatever they do next with the Fast and the Furious franchise. It's the, These movies are so ridiculous and over the top that I'm all for it. It looks so nuts, yeah. It's, I mean, I want to see, like, at the end of it, Jason Statham gets like an exosuit because he's like, well, yes. I'm not as strong as The Rock or uh, Hobbs to fight Idris Elba. So he gets augmented. an exosuit? So yeah, he gets like a freaking Robocop armor or something. And 
That's how he can like pitch in. He and doesn't contribute. just get the experiment, whatever they did to Idris Elba's character. Or maybe they just give him the crank serum and he oh just my becomes God. all psycho. <laughs> he becomes uh, Chiv Chirio or whatever his name Chip is. Chiv Chelios. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Chiv Chirios. <laughs> I don't remember That's what it was. the knockoff version. Chiv. I said Chiv. I don't know. What did you say it was? Chev Chelios. Chev. Chev. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. That's that's great. So, all right. This has been our news episode. News roundup. A lot of news stuff. There was a lot of news this yeah. week. It, a lot of it from Warner Brothers too. So that's interesting. Uh, all right. If you want to talk to us about any of these stories, get a hold of me. I'm on Twitter at at Michipedia G E M G E M stands for Geek Elite Media. John's also on Twitter as I am at Magic Bollocks. The rest of Geek Elite media is at geek elite media on twitter at geek elite media on instagram and facebook.com forward slash geek elite media is our facebook page check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the geek elite media website uh geek elite media.com but until next time this is the geeks watch on the geek elite media network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out we now return you to your regularly scheduled program this podcast has been brought to you by cuts by candace Candice Giss is a hairstylist that listens to your needs and will work with you to get the right look for you. With 18 years of experience, Candice is the premier stylist that I trust with my look. And right now, if you mention this ad when you make an appointment from now until the end of February 2019 and give our promo code GEEKOUT, you will get 10% off your hair services. Follow Cuts by Candice on Facebook and Cuts underscore Candice on Instagram and start looking the best you you can.